Welcome to the Sobriety Elevated Podcast with your hosts, Kevin and Jim. We are dedicated to strengthening your recovery and elevating your sobriety. Thank you for listening. It is showtime. Welcome to today's episode, and today we have a special guest, but before we get to our guest, I want to introduce my co-host, Kevin. Kevin, how are you today? You know, I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to meet and hear from our guest. This guest is an incredible person. I want to say I met you, what, five years ago, four years ago? You know, it really was five years ago, over five years. It was over five years ago. We met in a treatment center. She was in one of the workshops that I led, and her recovery has been so strong. We've been following each other, I want to say, for the last few years. Her Mm -hmm. name is Molly, and I'd like to introduce you. And the first question I have, Molly, is what was life like before, and Tell us about that journey pre-sobriety. Oh, boy. Jim, you know I'm older, so I can start way back. But I'll summarize by saying before alcohol became a part of my life, I actually am a mom of four, and they're now grown adults. But uh, I had an intact family of four kids and a husband, and then alcohol. I allowed alcohol into my life, knowing that I was an addict, but I had forgotten about that. When did you know that you were an addict? Is this Mm. preteen, teen? I got my first hint of knowing I was an alcohol, that I was an addict in my teen years. I didn't really know what that looked like. I could feel in my body. uh, I Figured first it was food, and I was absolutely on the nose with that. I've been addicted to food since as long as I can remember. Then it became drugs and alcohol in my teen years, and I could feel my body craving, and that's all I was thinking about. However, when I was a kid, I was more in in touch with saying no than as an adult. (laughs) So, And then fast-forwarding to 2007, I was in a car accident, prescribed a lot of painkillers, And had, oh, probably between four and six surgeries as a result. So lots of narcotics. And then something really tragic happened in my life. And I learned, oh, these narcotics can also aid in emotional grief and loss and not knowing what to do. Just numb me out. So I actually did go to treatment for pill, opioids and benzos and whatever else I could get my hands on in my first sobriety date was January 9th, 2011. And then my sobriety date from alcohol is September 25, 2016. So most of of my adult life, I've been very pleased, satisfied, I have felt like a rich woman, although I am not wealthy. Going back to what started my journey to sobriety was some, I had been drinking very, very heavily on a nightly basis. Somehow I held down a a job that had a lot of pressure. It was director of an assisted living facility, so I would come home and just drink my way into oblivion. 
because I have a comorbidity of mental illness, it really triggered that the alcohol does very strange things with psych meds. And so I started with the belief that my family would be better off without me. My kids' dad kicked me out and I was able to live in a little apartment in the assisted living facility that I was working at because I had nowhere else to go. Wow. So I spiraled way down into truly believing that it would be a gift to give to my loved ones if I would just take myself from this life. And I actually attempted that and took a bunch of my meds, uh, which include blood pressure meds. And I just thought, I'm going to crash my blood pressure. Uh, I had written all of my notes over the last two weeks, said nothing to anybody, drank the half gallon of vodka and, oh, whoops, back up the night before I was fired because I did get a DUI. It wasn't at work. Uh, Nevertheless, because of working with the elderly and a DUI, there's a morality clause in the contract that I signed for work. So I had lost my job, my family, my home, everything. Uh, So I... I did attempt suicide and I would have died had my sister not had a feeling she needed to check on me. So she saved my life, was not super happy about waking up in the hospital. I spent some time in the acute psychiatric unit. It was two weeks uh, to go through detox and uh, stabilize me on good medication And then the plan was from there to fly out to Salt Lake and go to treatment. However, I finagled my way out of having my my mom came to pick me up, had her sign my discharge papers while I took a cab straight to the liquor store because I'm afraid to fly. So proceeded in the airport to down little, I don't remember this size, doesn't matter, basically what amounts to a fifth of hard alcohol in the airport and passed out, of course, and then wound up going back to the hospital via ambulance and they didn't want me, which I totally get. Wow. Uh, You you have to advocate for yourself. So I wound up on the streets. Was this in Salt Lake? No, this was in Coos Bay, Oregon, where I am right now. So I had family cruising the streets looking for me and they did find me and paid for a motel room, talked me into... We do want you around. Um, Would you please go to treatment like it like was originally planned? My mom coordinated with uh, the treatment center Mm -hmm. and they bought me another ticket and I flew out. And so originally I sought sobriety for my loved ones because I just didn't care. I didn't want to be around. It was harder to be around, but the fight started with somebody else. And I spoke to somebody at the treatment center about that. And they said, it's okay if you start off doing this for somebody else. And it's okay to fake it till you make it. And I didn't like that saying until I was put in the situation where I needed to. And then eventually it became for me. When I met you, you were really strong in your recovery. So I didn't. So thank you for sharing the backstory. Yeah, thank you for, um, yeah, for sharing all of that. Sharing um, I, that. I can really I can relate really to the part where you said, you know, you were at the airport and you were 
you ended up, you know, finagling your way out of things. I finagled my way out of things for several years. When I finally got to the airport and got into by the gate, there was about a 50-50 chance that I was going to end up uh, on the flight to Salt Lake or I was going to end up on a flight somewhere else or at the bar. I didn't know. Thankfully, uh, I got away from it. I do have a question that I think is maybe different than probably Jim would ask, but like the detoxing from your opiates compared to detoxing from alcohol, how would you kind of describe the dif- the difference there? Oh boy. A lot of it was similar in that I don't like to feel physically uncomfortable. And that is a huge understatement as to what detox feels like. They have different symptoms, but the emotional ties to the substance for me were different. I have to be careful because narcotics is like an old lover that I've broken up with. Alcohol, I started hating before I got sober. I hated it for months before I got sober and I had tried to get sober on my own at home and it never worked out. I think a month was the longest I made it without drinking at home. Regardless of the substance, um, because at that time, even though I was coming to treatment for alcohol in 2016, the most difficult thing to recover from was the addiction to my ex-husband. That is something that surprised me and that surprised me in treatment. So Thankfully, I was in good hands at that point in time. Yeah. And what was the the decision decision like? You decide you're going to go to treatment. You decide you're going to, you're going to get sober. Like, what would you say was, uh, obviously life was awful. I can relate to that part too, Mm -hmm. obviously, but what was different? (laughs) Like, what was the catalyst this time that, that said, okay, you know what? I guess I'm going, let's do it. The first time I went for the pills, that was an ultimatum. Go or we're done. Uh, this, this was my ex-husband saying that. So that was motivation to go then. I did not want to get clean at that point in time. And what was interesting as well is my ex-husband described me being on drugs as if I was having an affair. And then I didn't know what that meant until years later when I was in treatment for alcohol. Just what was the catalyst this time? Like what made this time different to where you decided you were going to go to treatment as opposed to getting out of it? You're talking about in 2016, right? In 2016, yeah. 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 Okay. So the catalyst for me was basically, you know, I'm older, I'm more mature. When my head cleared up uh, from the huge detox drugs, that's when I first became willing, like a tiny grain of sand. This is my willingness, and I'm I'm committing to be willing to do whatever it takes to get sober so that I don't try and take my life and hurt especially my kids, but also my family. So I was focused on them at first, and I had lost everything. And like I said, I don't like to be physically uncomfortable, and there's nothing more uncomfortable than losing relationships with children, mom, the whole, you know, sisters, the whole nine yards. So that was my catalyst this past time. In 2016, when I met you, you, you were one of the stronger ones in the room. 
you led in the workshop discussion, you did the meditation. How is treatment the second time? Treatment the second time, boy, I feel like I really got a handle on what it meant and what the unrealistic expectations were that I held for recovery. I was really embittered by hearing in treatment, everything's going to be wonderful when you get sober. Life is so much better. Things are easier. I learned this time around, no, they're not. And sometimes they're more difficult as opposed to easier. But hang in there. It's temporary. I heard that a lot. Feelings are temporary. Valid, not always facts, which I which spoke to what I already knew because I am an emotional feeler and had enough experience to know that just because I feel something doesn't mean it's real. And being open and willing to do anything as opposed to, oh, I'm willing to do some things I don't want to do, but really being willing to be the most uncomfortable in my life that I've ever been was what I learned. Kevin, that sounds just like you. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was gonna. I wanted to chime in so much, but when you said willing to do anything, you know, one of the programs says, you know, we were willing to go to any length to achieve mm-hmm. sobriety. And for me, I mean, I can relate so much to your story, and I'm sure any people that are listening to this that are they're like us, that are addicts or alcoholics, can relate too. Where you said I was so sick of hearing people say how great life was going to be. I remember people mm-hmm. saying, I'm a grateful saying, alcoholic and all this. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to stab him. I couldn't handle it. Yes. I mean, it was it was like the most annoying thing ever. And, and like you said, things are harder. I will say that life now is, quote, unquote, easier, but not because things don't happen, but because I just have different tools uh, to handle. Yes. And it still sucks sometimes, uh, by the way. But um, I think it's great. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that. And one thing that's interesting, you know, I, I'm assuming, Jim, did we go to the treatment in the same place? Okay, we did not. Okay, I was just curious. I, it, it doesn't really matter, but I was, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, just like, what did, so you get out of treatment, what did life look like? Like, what was, what did life look like right when you got out of treatment? Well, I took, I took baby steps because I went from treatment to sober living. Sober living identified Fairly quickly, I think it was within the first week that I still held seriously unhealthy blocks mentally and emotionally. And I had built up walls that I was very proud of and put my faith in those. And I'm the only one that's going to protect myself, which is true. But I took that to the extreme unhealthy. That was identified in my sober living and... I was so angry because somebody from a different treatment center came to pick me up and they said, you do not have to do this. You are free to go at any point in time. And I felt an example of not being true. I felt like I had no choice because I had no home except for sober living or a treatment facility. So I felt forced, but I was not in fact forced And I remember going up the canyon, feeling like I was going up the hill of the shining (laughs) and going (laughs) to that horrible motel. And I had to laugh going up and down the canyon, remembering that every time I did that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so ridiculous. But anyway, so then I wound up in treatment for even longer and 
was out to the same sober living facility. And when I came out, I was much healthier. I got a lot better treatment at the second place. And those therapists that identified I needed more therapy, more processing, more time were right. And I became grateful for that. As a matter of fact, I came so angry to that treatment center. There was one girl who became a dear friend who said after, well, probably 36 hours, you can either be angry and resist this and think that you're right, or you can give in to the process. I love that. So how long were you in treatment and how long were you in sober living? Oh boy. Treatment was from September to the beginning of January, 2017 and then sober living until middle of May 2017. Quite a few months. And I'm counting um, IOP and like a step-down treatment center the first time around. It was for a number of months. It was for almost nine months. Oh, wow. That's a while. And it didn't feel... The first 30 days kind of felt like longer when I realized that this is really good for me and I'm getting tools that I never... I had hoped to to get, but didn't know how to get them realistically. Very valuable. Yeah. What I also, what I heard is like quitting drinking was like a small part of the whole treatment process, Mm -hmm. going through different therapy, things like that, getting to root issues and all that is is one of the things. That's why I always challenge people. If you're able and, and you have a chance to go to treatment, I think that it's a huge help. I know not everybody is obviously, but I, I think that it's awesome. Well, mm-hmm. well, here's an example of a treatment program that got you toward the right track, but it was it was almost the third treatment program or the you know the second one after in 2016 that really got you going, and then it was that IOP and the sober living that solidified your recovery because you're you're coming up on five years, correct? I'm over five. Okay, years, so yeah. you're coming up on six years in September. So. Uh, not quite five and a half. Yeah, you're five yeah, and a half years. One day at a time, Jim. One day at a time. One day at a time, I know. <laughs> I'm just, yes. Yeah, I'm just giving reference that it's been five and a half years. So, Molly, thank you. I think we're going to have you back in the next episode. So we're going to close it out here. And in our next episode, we're going to start from how life was once you left that final IOP, the final sober living, to now. Does that work? Yes, it does. Thank you. So for listen, me back. listen to the next episode because that's when it gets good. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sobriety Elevated podcast. Please like us, rate us, share us with your friends and family. By doing that, you make the difference. The more people that listen to this, the more we impact the recovery around the world. Thank you and create an incredible day.